What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Young Money Mindset. Today we got a super interesting guest, Richard Hodson. Hodgson, my apologies. Um, he's a realtor, been working on my team for the last few years. Um, husband, father of two beautiful little girls. Um, he worked for the Mesa Police Department, for the county, done some FBI work. Um, been kidnapped a few times, uh, played in the big leagues for a little bit. So um, you got a really interesting story. Super excited to, to kind of unfold a lot of it. So um, so I know you said, so your dad was a pastor um, and was a missionary. and, and So it, my dad was a pastor of a small church, um, and he was more of a mission-minded pastor. And so we started with small missions to Rock, Rocky Point. And we would just build small huts. They were houses, but they were very small for families. So we'd go down one weekend, crank a house out, go down the next week, crank another house out. And it started like that. And then he started building relationships with the local law enforcement, with local politicians, because uh, he, was, he was doing some good. You know, they were bringing in some credibility. They wanted him around more. Um, so he kind of built a platform there and started preaching and started teaching. And then he started getting involved in their problems. And then that's where trafficking got involved they said well we're having a lot of trafficking issues um so he'd start going spending more time in mexico more time in mexico well it drifted from mexico to honduras to el salvador to panama all the way through brazil uh papua new guinea philippines china you name it like it just exploded so you started kind of following this trail of, of yes. where you started just building the homes and they kind of introduced you to it and then you kind of you guys started, what, tracing that trail and just seeing what it was so about? He, or He did most of it. My role was mainly manual labor. I carried the luggage. I <laughs> did all the stuff they didn't want to do. Anything that was political, like I wasn't allowed to go sit with the generals. I wasn't allowed to go in their rooms and talk about and, and scheme. You know, I was between 8 and 17. Um, so, like, I wasn't privy to, like, the conversations. I knew where we were down there. I knew the risk we were carrying. Um, but, like, I wouldn't say – I would say when I was like probably 12 or 13 is when s the sex trafficking became more prevalent and he became more focused on putting a dent in that in Central America. And he had an, a, an organization called Thin Blue Line Ministries. Um, so it's that's what he did. He just focused on helping law enforcement transition from a horrible day at work to go home and be their husband and then or dad and then putting a dent in tra sex trafficking also through political and law enforcement side. So working out dirty cops, working out dirty politicians, uh, actually going on the ground, pulling kids out of like trafficking, putting them into orphanages. Uh, the orphanages get raided, so they had to go find those kids, bring them back to the orphanage. It's just a, a hot mess. All wow. Did you guys start to get? Uh, did you guys have a name for yourselves down there? Like, did the, did these guys kind of know who you were and that you were searching for them and that you were kind of weeding them out? So, to my knowledge. Yes and no. So my dad worked with a few generals that he trusted, and they trusted him because they have an internal issue. They have a lot of law enforcement and politicians that are feeding and part of the problem. Right. And so what they realize is they need to be a little more tactical and figure out and follow the money and start finding the upper people holding the power to get rid of them to start slowing down the traffic down, you know, where the kids are. So that's what it turned into, and then that's kind of where it got dicey and a little more violent. I know he was involved in multiple shootings in Honduras. One of the hotels he was at got shot up. Um, he, he didn't make a lot of friends down there. But most of those trips, I think I only went on a couple of them. The, all the trips I usually would go on, the, we saved up a ton of money. I, I found I got enough money to go to Honduras one time, and there was like a massacre at the courthouse next to the landing strip, and they said no minors. Like, no minors allowed in the country right now. So I was like, oh, Richard, you're staying home. Dad's allowed to go, you're not. And then the next one, something else happened like that. So I didn't get to go on every trip. I wasn't I wasn't down there as nearly as much as he was. Yeah. Um, I went with him to the Philippines. That was actually a Tebow ministry. That one was not sex trafficking related. Um, my dad was friends with Tebow, Tim Tebow's dad, and he has an orphanage down there. So we would just go down there and help out with the orphanages and play with the kids, give them football, soccer balls, spend a couple days, and then preach the he would preach the gospel as we traveled through the philippines very cool um then we went we did a tour or a little stretch in uh, papua new guinea a little island right above australia half the island is uh like cannibals and the other half is not and so we were obviously on the non-cannibal side um and they also they built host they built a hospital there uh, it was like a three-bedroom house size just so they could treat malaria and open wounds like real basic stuff 
Uh, we were there for three months. I got malaria twice. I think that, I think it was 10, 10 or 11. We had that village we were in also got overran by the, the cannibals and uh, they held it for like six hours. Didn't hurt anyone. Really? Kind of took over, <laughs> talked to talked to a few people, and then they left. So did your mom? I know you you told you said your mom didn't really know about a lot of this my, stuff, right? My mom she, knew about that one. The China one, we she wasn't really privy to. Um, so we went to China one time. My dad had a really cool connection that wanted him to come talk to the underground churches uh, at, at night. So during at night, we were scheduled to go talk to all these churches and and pray with them and preach and encourage them. And then during the day, we'd work, do the same thing we did in Central America, but we'd do it with the, the Chinese government, talk about stress, trauma, ethics, and how to relate to your family as a male or female after you've had a very stressful or intense day. Um, so he did that all day, and then at night, would go to the underground churches. So you were working with and against the government in yes. China, essentially? Yes. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it, was, it was pretty stressful. We had a lot of talks prepping, like, hey, you know, it's a communist country. You can't do this. You get arrested. Um, I was 17 at the time, so the little guy we had with us was like, hey, there's a good chance they won't mess with you because you're a minor American. They'll just give you back to America. There's a really good chance if your dad gets caught, you'll never see him again. Like, he'll go to Siberia, he'll just disappear. You'll never see him. Um, so, like, okay, cool. So they said if you get caught, just say nothing. Just go with the flow. Don't run. Don't resist. And um, hopefully everything will be all right. And I was a 17-year-old. That was, you know, had baseball practice when he got back. You know, like just a kid at yeah. a Halo, you know, in my room playing Xbox. So I was like, all right, this, we've never had any issues like this before. Probably won't have any issues now. Um, so sure enough, a couple weeks in, um, I get picked up by the government or some, some guys in a car. Get taken to a hotel, put in a hotel room, and then my dad, I don't, he got taken somewhere else. So I was in there for about three days. Um, my understanding was we got caught. Um, so I figured, well, I'm either, I don't know what they're going to do to me. I three days as a 17-year-old, separated the government. We already talked about this. Like, just tell them what they want to know. Tell them who you are. It, the gig's over. Like, yeah. you're not going to fool them. Um, so, no, they didn't, they didn't hurt me. They didn't interrogate me. There was no, um, it was just the thought that I'll never see my dad again. There's a chance I'll never go home and sleep in my bed again. I'll never see my girlfriend again um, for three days. So there wasn't, like, it was stressful. Okay, I don't know how else to say it. You know, like, it sucked. Um, so about the, th I can't remember, it was third or four days, right around there. Um, they just came in. They're like, hey, get your stuff. You're out of here. So I was like, okay, what is, like, I don't know what that means. Um, throw me in a car. You know, they don't speak English. I don't speak Chinese. Uh, they take me to an airport. They throw me, like, right on the, right on the tarmac, right on the airplane, throw my bag, my stuff right on there, and my dad's in the back. Wow. Um, I believe we were in Shenzhen. We're going to fly to Hong Kong and then from Hong Kong to L.A. And then not allowed back in the country. Uh, so we talked. I sat down. I was like, you know, looked at him like, hey, like, <laughs> he's like, just sit down. Like, we'll talk later. Uh, so I was like, all right. So we just sat down, flew to Hong Kong. Um, people met us there, escorted us to the next gate, made sure we get on. And then, you know, I was like, Dad, are we ever coming back? He's like, we're not coming back. Like, we're not welcome here. And I'm like, perfect. We'll never come to China again. What did like, they yeah. do to your dad? Uh, we never talked about it. Oh, wow. I'll tell you right now, yeah. And so that was one of the things that's like, uh, I was like, so one of the things he said was like, hey, we're just not going to tell. Like, let's don't tell mom yet. Like, let's figure yeah. this out. You know, we're all good. Like, nothing bad happened. Um, I don't know. He didn't seem, he didn't seem like he was too stressed. Um, he seemed uh, fairly normal. And just seeing him calm, calmed me down. You know, like, it'd been different if he had, you know, Marks all over him, you know, couldn't talk, was scared, you know, you know people touching him or walking by. Um, so that that was probably the, the most calming effect was just seeing that, like, okay, he's chill. Okay. And you guys did other missions after China, right? I, that was my last one. Oh, that was, okay. Yeah, so I told him I'm done. Yeah. No <laughs> well, that was going to be my question is because, like, most 17-year-olds, I guess, would probably, like, be pretty shooken up after that. Like, was your dad – Shooken up, or, or was he, he continuing? He continued, um, and he, uh, I, I can tell you about that. Um, yeah. He got really involved in Central America. A, a few years later, he, after those shootings, he was able to get a gun and was able to carry it in Honduras and uh, went to the airport to pick up some, one of our other people coming in and then got arrested for carrying a gun. Uh, they just drove right up, grabbed him, threw him in the car, took him to the jail. Uh, because and we believe it was because of what he was doing there. Like this was not, 
Yeah, this wasn't. This yeah. was no coincidence. Yeah. Um, he from there he was with a, a Tucson cop, and he was there with two other people that were very close to him. So they all went to the jail with him, and basically slept at that jail until I think he was in there for a week or two, maybe like nine or ten days. Um, he came out of there broken. Like he never traveled again after that. Um, I think he had a couple crack ribs. Like he he was. Well, and I'm sure mentally, too, has got to be a, a taxing on you to be in these other countries, to be in these situations. Stress. The stress, the anxiety. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine that. That would be insane. And so, yeah, that is where his PTSD, I think, took a snap, and um, he went under for, for a long time. He's still not recovered. And what does he do? Like, just kind of fast forward. Like, what is he? Is he still around today? Is oh, yeah. He's, what, uh, he him and today? my mom moved. So he has a lot of trauma here in Arizona. Uh, he has extreme, like, military-grade PTSD. For a long time, he couldn't leave the house by himself. He, couldn't, he still doesn't drive a car very well. Like, gets lost real quick. Um, and this is a guy that was talking to thousands of people in multiple countries. You know, he had yeah. political power and, and the movement and stopping sex trafficking, and he can't even get on the road and stuff like that. Wow. Oh, my God. Um, so lots of, lots of therapy, lots of uh, EMT, uh, DMR. Years and years and years, and so now I'd say he's probably at his best. He works out a lot, goes to the beach every day, um, but that's pretty like he can't hold a job. He doesn't do that very well. Um, he just went to Florida to get away from all the trauma, all the memories here in Arizona. He had to leave. Man, what a story! That's uh, that's a trip. And if you if you guys are out there listening, and and you guys like just think for a second, like to be 17 years old and be in that situation, man, is. I mean, I, re I respect you guys, like you, your dad, your family, your guys' church, like, because I think there's a lot of people out there that watch. I don't know. I'm sure you've seen The Sound of Freedom. I haven't. No. I okay. I, I would have no. loved to know okay. your opinion on it. So you got a, uh, so you're 17, um, you get back, you decide you're never doing a mission again. Um, baseball was going pretty good for you. I know you got drafted to ASU. Um, I committed with ASU my senior year, yep. Um, had some issues with, the, with your shoulder, was it? I dislocated my shoulder, yes. Yeah, and unfortunately never really got a chance to, to prove yourself then, right? So, yeah, I, uh, I signed late my senior year with ASU, and then I want to say right around August, I was goofing around with my buddies and popped my shoulder out of place, and it, it, I couldn't throw. Yeah. And so uh, I had to go tell coach or, like, let my recruiter know, and they're like, okay, so, well, we have six catchers, you're gone. Like, wow. we, we don't even need – like you're on oh, a try you're on a tryout spot as it was like yeah like you didn't have a spot until January and you proved yourself um, so I just took that as like all right it just wasn't meant to be and I had several other like junior college offers um, so I like I like Glendale because they have the highest percentage of people getting picked up going to D1 or getting drafted and at the time the year before they were the best turns out they were not the best when I was <laughs> yeah. it was a rough two years yeah. um, so yeah, I had a good stretch there. I did, I did fairly well. Um, there was two catchers on the Mariners who got in a DUI car accident and got injured, and the Mariners held an open tryout for the local catchers instead of bringing out their third string uh, to finish off the season. So I got that spot and played with the Mariners for three to five months. I hated it. It sucked? It sucked. Did you get some playing time while you were there? Or Yes and no. Like, yeah. I say yes because, yeah, I got on there, but the score didn't reflect that the game was a, a real game. Like, this okay. is, we're just getting through the innings. Yeah. I was a bullpen catcher, essentially. I was on. I got paid daily. So I was never contracted. It wasn't glorious, glamorous. It was a financial – it was easy financial for them to bring up a college catcher than bring a contract. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, what were they paying you? Um, they I don't remember. It was, a, like, a weekly. Like it wasn't an hourly. Oh, okay. So, like, you could spend 20 hours there. You, you had to be there, like – seven or eight I caught bullpens for the guy who just threw the guy who's thrown tomorrow long toss it was a cool experience I got to see how you know major league operation I got to see the dugouts I got to talk with the players um, and all of them were like if this isn't your biggest dream and everything you've ever wanted to be get out now like, right, like yeah. don't don't be 28 years old and still be in double a don't be 30 years old and still change. like if this making if, no money right yeah, if you're not if, if you don't think you're gonna make it and you're 100 percent get out now um, and I heard that enough, and I was just like, I don't, I don't, there was no camaraderie. They were all just a number. I don't think anyone really ever knew my name. Yeah. Um, and they're all, it was just like, yeah, yeah, we lost, but I had a great game. I went three for three. And that was different for me. Like, I was not used to that mentality. 
you were kind of more accustomed to like the the camaraderie, the yeah, team. Let's atmosphere. win a game, right? Yeah, like, yeah. We, want, we want a championship. We want yeah. to, we want to travel yeah. to Nashville. Like we want to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, like high school is all about winning. Like we don't care if you went over, but if you moved the runner and scored a run, like you did your job. Yeah. yeah. Like, you did a good job. So, like, after that, like, I guess in, like, in the baseball side, so you did, um, was, like, five months over there? Or? I would say max. Max, okay. Yeah. And then after that, where'd you transition? So, that was the end. So, my, funny how that works. I, my freshman year, I played as a catcher, and then that happened the end of my freshman year in, like, August, maybe early August. So, I played with them from then through fall ball, through, you know, their, their AAA All-Star League. Um, and then that ends in like January, and then I just went back to Glendale and finished my year out as a pitcher. So I came left as a catcher and came back as a closer. Okay. There so, you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This was like a throw really hard. Yeah. So how soon thereafter? Then um, did you right after college? Then um, and then after after the big leagues, did you get straight into Mesa PD? No. Or so I, that no Mesa didn't come for a long time. I went to In and Out and worked at In and Out for. I'd already been working in and out, so I worked in and out probably till I was like 23, and then I went to corrections, uh, and I went to corrections because I had my bachelor's in psychology. I wanted to be a counselor. Um, I wanted to be like a sports therapist, help players develop, get to the next level, work through the mental problems. Um, quickly realized I did not want a master's degree after I did like just started the process. I realized master's was not for me. However, I was already working at the, the corrections. I was in the sex offender yard, and I actually kind of liked it. Like, the chaos was just awesome. It's fun to be around, Enter uh, entertaining days for you. Nothing but r mini riots, tackling. <laughs> and you're all for it? I'm all about it. <laughs> great. Um, I started in the juvenile sex offender, so it was, like, you could talk with them. You could build a relationship. You could, and then once you understand, like, what they went through as a kid, it understands why they're where they're at. We had a kid that was basically raised in a cage, brought out to be raped by his dad and his friends, and they throw him back in the cage and just poke him with sticks until he was eight. So when they let him out of the cage, what did he do? He raped another kid. Like, and so now he's in prison. And so once you start hearing your story, you're like, oh, like but this kid never, 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 had, a never had a shot. Never, had never a had shot. a shot to make a decision for no, himself. Like, and, and his story was much more horrific than that. That's a very, very glossy gloss over. But then you look, and there's 30 kids in there. And each kid just has the most horrific horror story. And then it makes sense. Like, I'm not saying that what they did was not wrong. It was evil. But I could see how they got there. Yeah. And then working with them and developing that rapport, that trust, um, and then seeing them kind of make changes is pretty cool. And then the fights are always fun. <laughs> they're just kids. Would you guys watch them, like, low-key? Like, would you? Uh, <laughs> oh, I'd go on, like, You'd a wrecking like, ball, dude. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Breaking shit up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going right down, like, a strike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, they like to run around the yard. So, like, while we were walking to, like, a, a comm center or food, whatever, they just take off running. And so I'm like, I'm going to tackle one. So I'm getting I'm getting one. Um, and the kids always knew that if, if I tackled you, I had beef with you because that means I'd probably pass two or three others to get to you. Yeah. <laughs> you get yeah. really screwed up. Yeah, like, I'm yeah. like, better straighten like, up. You, like, I get one. <laughs> um, and, and Hodgson's going to toss you hard. Like, yeah. You know, my report's going to write, you know, therapeutic hold, kid continued risk. So I threw, you know, compliance blows to the back of the ribs. <laughs> so, <laughs> Just to let them know. Yeah, like, it, yeah. you know, it's yeah. prison. Um, so that was, that was cool. Then they moved me to the SRT, which is the special response team. So you, all you do is just respond to riots. Typical kids, like we responded to one. There's a there's a female side and a male side. Well, they have to go to school together by law. Well, when the guys would run, the girls would run too, and they could climb on top of the buildings. And so, like when the guys and girls would run, the girls would run on top of buildings, and the boys would run up there, and, and they'd start banging it out. And wow. so you're trying to see some of these, you know, bigger correction officers scale a building. They can't get up there, and the kids, you know, fun. They're just banging it out, and then they come down. Jesus. Wow. So is this is the juvenile center out here? Is that also in Florence? No, that's in that? I seventeen in Deer Valley. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Adobe. Okay. Yeah. So then from Adobe, uh, well, I went there. I was a uh, there's a Journey in Nova or the sex offender units. The sergeant there got fired for inappropriate relations with another guard. Um, so I ended up like intermittently over both units, um, and so that didn't come with a pay raise because it's intermittent. 
Um, so I did that, but then I got picked up by Maricopa County Adult Probation Sex Offender Unit as a surveillance officer. Um, so they essentially, if you were on probation as a sex offender, my job was to follow you around and make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And if you're not, I arrest you. Did they know you you were following them? I mean, I would imagine some guys knew, right? Or oh, they you? all they all knew my face. Oh, okay. They didn't know like they didn't know I was there. So like, like if, if this was probation, we come in like you just got out of jail. You're sitting here. We're talking. I'm explaining all your rules. Like, hey, here's your PO and here's Richard. Like, you're gonna randomly see Richard all over the place. And if you see him, you, you go talk to him. Got it. Like, okay. he's gonna be watching. Got it. Yeah. So um, they know. They yeah. just don't. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I I had a so they weren't allowed to drink. I'll do drugs. They had to be ahead of curfew. Um, some of them had to text me every movement. So, like, if they were going to the grocery store, they had to say, I'm at the, going to the grocery store, at the grocery store, leaving the grocery store, at home. Wow. Um, and so they had to. Well, if you make poor choices, we call the poor choices, you know, poor consequences. You know, you know fuck around, find out. Yeah. And, um, so they had different requirements. Some of them had schedules, but they all weren't allowed on the Internet. They all weren't allowed to drink. And obviously no porn, no sexual contact. So we had to talk about all that, talk about what they're looking at, you know, their masturbation routines. Like you go through everything. And so you're like deep in these guys' heads. You go, I go to their groups. So when they go to sex offender groups, I go with them. Um, I listen, I find, you know, you, you just get to know these guys. And so um, ended up doing pretty good at that. Um, they moved me from standard sex offender and then I'd start helping out with intensive probation and then the SVPs, which are sexually violent predators. Uh, what they found out is I was really good at sniffing out cell phones and laptops. Um, I don't know why it was. I could just find them. I, I knew you had it. And one of my little tricks I'd always do is I'd go to some dude's house at like 9 o'clock. Um, you know, like, hey, you know, I'm here to check your house out. And they have to let me in. I have to walk through the house and make sure no one's there, no kids are there, no women, nothing. And then what I do is just get in my car and just drive around the block and come right back. Yeah. And park down the street. And sure enough, you know, here comes, you know, Joe Schmo out of the front door, throws his keys, you know, get in his car and takes off. Well, I'm like, all right, now we have some fun. Like, let's, yeah. see, what, let's see what we're doing tonight. Um, or I'd come back, knock on the door an hour later, they're drunk. They've got their iPad here, their laptop <laughs> here, you know, and they're like, oh, uh, just shut the door, Whoops. you know, close the door. Like, oh, no, we're having fun now. Um, and so what it turned into is we couldn't access a lot of that information that had illegal stuff on it. And so I ended up writing and getting money for a search engine that could bypass all that. And so I turned into kind of a forensic analyst. But what I found out quickly is if you find something illegal like child porn, since I don't have the right credentials, this is now, I, we can't admit this. this. You can't use this against us because I got it. I don't have the certificate. You I don't illegally have obtained it. Not illegally, but I, I don't have the authority to say that that's illegal. And, and to get into the people that are with the right hands that can. So that I ended up found a, a training. Um, I became a forensic analyst for, what's the title? Uh, the sexual development or sexual, gosh, what was the title? Pubic development. So I could basically look at a pornographic or a child and tell you how old they were based on their pubic development. Um, and so that gave me the authority to say, hey, this is now a charge and I can get the actual law, I got the law enforcement to come make an arrest because if you, I can't charge new crimes. I can only arrest them on their probation violation. I can't enforce a new crime. Yes. Right. Oh, I see. Yeah. And so I need someone to come out there and enforce the new crime. So then I became a part of a task force in internet crimes against children so that that way, if I ever needed help, I was already connected to the dude that only did that. And so if you found any type, we call it CP, child porn. So if any other officer in Maricopa County found CP, they're like, they stop. And so Richard comes in. I say, yes, it's CP. We stop. And then we give it to our dude. So then we have the software to find it. And the software is pretty cool. It'll, like, you just plug in your phone, your computer, run the search, and it'll prioritize all the photos that it believes are younger skin. So, like, it'll wow. grade it based wow. off. And it does it automated. So it's not 100%. You know, there's some slip through, but you find it. But it'll, it allows you to search through them a lot faster. That's crazy, and I'm sure, like, did you just ever, like, I mean, I could only, like, just working with those types of people, like, did you just, like, your rage, your anger, like, did that ever take over at a certain point, or were you pretty level-headed, like, because I know, like, just, like, myself, like, I don't know if I could be around someone, like, like without just really wanting to fucking be, like, yeah. you know, just fire off on them or something, I don't know, like, 
I, I don't know if it's like not maybe not as personal. <laughs> You're or, thinking of something yeah, right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. share. There's something. Right, yeah. <laughs> the cameras down. <laughs> yeah. But just like walk me through like what that like what your mental's like when you're, you're when you're around these people. Like I'm sure you've seen other officers or. Yeah, we've seen a lot. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm pretty. I, I like to think I'm pretty level-headed. Um, I had a coach that, you know, always just hammered in. You never let anyone see how you feel. Like, win or lose, you, they don't get to enjoy to see you mad. They, you never let them see you mad. Like, they don't, they don't deserve, they don't get that privilege. Only your team does. Like, they can see how mad you are, but no one else does. Um, and so I, I feel like I have a really good job of keeping my emotions off my face, uh, especially in, like, law enforcement mode. After the prison, like, you, you can't let people see what you're thinking on your face, that you're shocked, that you're scared, that you don't know. You, you can't ever let them know they have an itch or that they have you off guard. Um, however, sex offenders are different. Uh, they don't like fair fights. They're, I think they're a little bit more edgy. Yeah. Like they, they don't want a fair fight. They want to take advantage. They want to hustle. So yes, we, they, you definitely lose your cool sometimes. I, I would be a liar to say if I didn't lose my cool. Um, I typically didn't lose my cool on the sex offender, though, because you don't get mad if a dog bites someone or a dog. Like, like, what do you expect? A kid spills milk, they're a kid. Yeah. Sex offender, what did you expect them to do? Follow the rules? Like, yeah. did you expect them? Like, what right. did you – so I, I lost my cool a lot with our attorneys, the judges, um, other officers. Uh, so, like, I got – I essentially left sex offender – I had a case where the attorney, I arrested a dude because he had new crimes. He had multiple new crimes for the same thing he was arrested for. Um, and he, he had some money, so he had a lawyer, and the lawyer essentially said that being on my caseload was worse than prison. Um, and I was like, well, then you haven't been to prison first. So we're in court, and he's making this argument, and the judge starts citing, like, oh, my gosh, like, Richard has been hard on you. Uh, and I was like, wait a second, like, this dude has new crimes. Like, I couldn't get the information unless I ran him down and got it. Like, I had to search his house. Like, I, I probably searched his house ten times. And every time I found something that sent him back to jail. So we're getting into it. Um, the judge is like, yeah, we're taking you off sex offender probation. We're moving you to standard probation and reinstating all your rights. We're giving you six months till you're off because Richard was so hard on you. So I stood up and was like, Next, if your kid ever gets raped, you're going to want me supervising that kid or supervising that. And I was like, and I'm done. And she was like, so they're like, you're going to go in contempt. I was like, you can arrest me. I don't care. Like arresting means nothing anymore to me. Like I could yeah. care less. So yes, I did lose my cool. Um, at that point I told my supervisors like I'm done. Like I, I can't, I was watching hours and hours of porn every week, filing it, logging it, typing it up. So we get the rest. Like, and I was like, I'm done. Yeah. Essentially from there, uh, Maricopa Fugitive Apprehension was like, hey, we got a spot for you. We like your style. Um, so I went and got certified over there as an operator so you can you know, carry AR, your pistol, your taser, blah, blah, blah. And all you do is just go collect warrants. All you do. You don't do anything. You don't work cases. You don't work files. Um, when I first started, they handed me, I think, like 300 warrants. They're like, here's your file. Best of luck. Let us know if you need help. And you would just take the file, go grab the first one, go arrest them? So, yeah, essentially, I, I, you spread them out and you kind of prioritize them. Like, you got to pick ones that you, you can get because some you, you can't just chase them all. You got to chase. And then you can't just chase, like, petty. If I saw a misdemeanor in there for a drug paraphernalia, like, I'm more likely to call that dude. Dude, you go pay your warrant, bro. Yeah. You got a $50 warrant. Like, yeah. 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 Hey, should be done with it. Right. And so there was a lot of that. Yeah. And, and, like, I worked, like, you got to think about it, too. Am I going to take five or six guys for a $50 warrant? Yeah, not worth it. worth it. It's not yeah. worth your time, it's not right? Not worth anyone's yeah. time. Just for a stat. Yeah. And then let's say like the dude runs or we scare him, or we end up hurting, and now we gotta you know use yeah. a force on a fifty dollar warrant. Yeah. 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 yeah, whatever. Um, so then I then it filters. So then like you you can't go arrest any of these guys by yourself. You have to have a squad. So you usually have to link up with a, a PD. And so that's where um, I went out to the East Valley and I ran in and met uh, one of the sergeants, and they weren't real hip to what I was doing They're like oh we don't know you we don't trust you you're an outsider and so I ended up saying like hey man just give me your, your top 10 dudes and let me let me run them um, and if you don't know if you're uh, with the Superior Court Maricopa County I can cert if you're on probation I have rights to your house and everyone that's inside of your vehicles your work all your person so like if we if we stop somebody and they're on probation 
I don't have rights to that car unless they own it. Okay. If, if you're on probation and he's in it, I got rights to him now. Wow. So it's like it, it's probation is just an extension of jail. And think of I'm sure you caught so many other guys that like in that situation, right? Like even if I wasn't on probation but I was carrying stuff. I mean, obviously you're doing the same shit. But I'm sure they thought probably, oh, he's got to get a warrant. I'm carrying stuff, you know, but they didn't realize, oh. Yeah, he's on probation. You don't have any rights to me. Yeah, these people don't think about it, right? And then then you jam them up because they have something. Yeah. So then they usually get hostile. They usually get aggressive. And then once they start buying in like, oh, crap, I don't have any grounds to stand on, it's too late. Yeah. Cuffs are already on. Like, we know who you are. Most of them will lie about their name, which is fine. We're going to figure out who you are. Like, just... It was so smooth. I just gave us your name. Um, so, yeah, so that's what they gave them. They, they gave me a list. I ran in. I was like, hey, eight of these dudes are on probation. I have rights to eight houses. Pick your top dude, and let me show you what I can do. Um, the first couple went so well, uh, they brought me onto their unit as a task force officer. So I worked for Maricopa, but Mesa told me what to do every day, and they trained me to get, them up to get me up to speed on their tactics. Um, so that went well for a period of time. Well, Mesa Gang's a part of a task force uh, for the reservations, and that's on an FBI task force and a marshal. So if I wanted to be on that, I had to go get blessed by them and get creds and certified and all that jazz. So yeah, the FBI, I got credentials uh, for marshals for extraditions. We had to get a marshal clearance. And then that's what we did. Just what, went after bad dudes. What, uh, tell us a story of like a crazy, like a crazy case, like first one that comes to mind. Yeah, that you're allowed. That you're allowed yeah, to share. I want to share. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, we had a. So we use social media a lot. Um, so we had like fake Snapchats. We had fake Instagrams, Facebooks. I had a really good sex offender Facebook for my sex offender days. Um, I could be a you know four, thirteen year old boy or girl. I could just switch it real quick. My whole thing was just pretty like non-binary. I could switch it, and make it fluid. So depending on what perp we're looking for, it depends on I could shape my, my profile real quickly. Had the followers, had the activity, the fo- like it looked like a real, a lot of time went into that. Uh, Brittany Rain, you guys can look her up. She's on there. Um, so are you using this to like, so, so are you like, are you messaging them? Are you provoking them to message you? Or is it like? So I use it as a, one, I use it to check people. So like if you have a Facebook, as I need a Facebook and I'm not gonna use my personal right. to see if my guys are online. So I'll use Brittany to just type in their phone because a lot of guys, like back in the day, you tied your cell phone to Facebook. Right. And so you just type in their phone number and their actual profile. So, like, you know, it doesn't say Robbie. It says, you know, Mark Sean. And, okay, well, it's Mark Sean's actually Robbie because you have your phone tied to it. Right. So then when they come to the office, I send, you know, Mark Sean a message and ding. Like, oh, there's your smartphone. There you go, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Or you watch them out the window and you see them unloading their bag in the bush, you know, across the street. They're putting their their cell phone, you know, their knife, their drugs. Yeah. And they put their, and then they come in, we search it, we find nothing. They walk back, they grab it. So then I just walk over the street, I grab it, I bring it in, spread it out on the table, and they walk in. They're like, that's not mine. I'm like, no one said it was. Like, yeah. just, just have stuff on the table. Yeah. We're just hanging <laughs> out. Yeah, we're just we're hanging just out. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, they, I mean, some of them were very smart, but a majority of them were not smart at all. Um, so we use social media a lot. So in the, the fugitive side, we'd use them to lure them out. Um, like, hey, you know, this cute girl, you know, I'm in town for a couple days. Like, come meet me at the hockey stick. Um, like, I, like, oh, come to my house. Like, oh, like, you know, last time my friend did that, it was too scary. Like, I'm nervous to meet a random dude at their house. I'd like to meet you somewhere public if you don't mind. You know, she's super cute. Um, it's kind of fun impersonating a female to another dude. Like, nobody <laughs> wants to hear. Right. <laughs> <Just give it laughs> yeah, like, you know exactly what he wants to hear. Um, so sure enough, he's like, all right, I'll be there in 20, 30 minutes. Well, we're sitting outside the house. Um, dude pops his head out. And, like, just gets, you know, he's like, text her, hey, I'm not coming. Like, something changed. We don't know why it changed, but he came out far enough for us to know he's actually in there now. So now we can surround and barricade the house up. Right. Um, so we have, we'll just say they had the house barricaded. Uh, we probably barricaded it for six hours. During that time, we had, you know, busted all the windows out. We gassed the house. We're talking to him. We got all the people out. 
Uh, so it's just Target inside the house, and he's talking to us and giving us grief and yelling at us. And so our role is to hold perimeter until SWAT can get there, and then SWAT takes it over. Uh, so we just hold perimeter and then just give verbals. We're, we're not allowed to make entry when we know there's someone in there who's hostile. Like we don't have the tools for that. Right. We're mobile. Um, so we're holding it down. You just sit at your car with your gun on your window. And, you know, if dude points a gun, you just you do what you got to do. So SWAT gets there, and how SWAT, they, like, kind of relieve one truck at a time. So we have trucks surrounding this entire house. It's like a big open acre with a cornfield next to it. Um, so SWAT, you know, come, hey, Richard, you're relieved. So this SWAT truck's taking your trucks by, back out. They have a dude, and then boom. Now I scoot back, like, another 50 yards, and I'm just support. I, we just stand there until whatever. So by this time, it's probably, like, 8, probably, like, 9, 30, 10. Uh, I actually had a ride-along. Uh, from the county who wants to get into FAU, he was sitting there watching. He said, this is the best day ever. You got to get this every day. I was like, this is not every day. <laughs> not every day. Like, this is not how – most days are pretty boring. You just sit and watch a house, and then, nope, nothing, go home. Yeah. Um, so we're out there. It's like 10 o'clock. We're sitting with me, the ride-along. And, and the ride-along, just to let you know, too, they're not allowed to do anything unless we're, like, getting our face kicked in. Then they can st- – outside of that, they can't touch anything. Right. They have no training. Um, and then there's a Salt River detective who, you know, relative to me, like he's he's a he's a go getter. He wants to he wants to make an arrest. Um, so <laughs> it gets funny. Um, dude sticks his head out. Target sticks his head out the front door and starts talking to SWAT. Like, hey, you know, f you, blah blah. And he takes off inside the house and like you can see him turn a corner, and run down. Um, so SWAT basically. St- their four-man teams transitions to the side of the house, and so they are—they have left the front door wide open. So target. So we have trucks. So like all these trucks are pointing and have it all lit up. We have lights. So we're behind the lights. He can't see behind the lights because of the trucks, you know. So we're sitting there like, okay, they're about to get him. He's about to be over. Well, he sticks his head out. You know, he looks right. You know, he looks left, and takes off. Um, and so we're like, oh, hey, like tar- targets. You know, in, you know, he's found headed into the, the cornfield nothing um and we're like <laughs> i looked at the, you know the detective and i was like Ugh. so here we go me and him are now in a foot pursuit in the dark into the cornfield with this dude um and what we were what the first thing you're like first thing i was listening for was they were gonna they're gonna release a dog they got three dogs two three dogs out there as soon as they release a dog you like as an officer you have to stop moving yeah because the dog doesn't know who's bad and good right it just bites who's ever most interested um, Shit. So, like, it, it can't tell the difference between us. Yeah. And we're obviously in between us and Perp. So, like, if you hear – so you got to keep your earpiece in because, hey, like, Jaws is loose. Like yeah, You're stopping. You, yeah. You, you, hit, you the hit the ground. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. out. Just, yeah. like, in hope. Stop. Hope yeah. he's not interested in you. <laughs> because that dog, you know, is, is – I think they messed with me. I don't know if he was really like this, but we're in a stack going into a house. They let – they bring the dog up, and he's just like, don't <laughs> 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 me you know like and they just the dogs are awesome you know throw in the house they go on the counters they knock they they're just going through everything if they bark that means they caught a scent and he's in there he barks he comes out okay so we know he's in there um we got a couple i guess we can talk to so we're running we're running um as i'm catching up to him i'm about to like i'm about to reach him he's not the, the most in shape dude so the other officer tased him from the side so he locked up and by the time he locked up i was on him so I landed on him, you know, cuffed him, um, and I, you know, looking up like, holy shit, that just happened. Like, where's the dog? And so we're probably 120 yards from like the center, like, and then the command center is probably like 100 yards a different direction. So we can see the semi, like, okay, like oh shit, like I was like, well, where do you want to drag him to? I don't want to drag him back into the like, let's take him to the command center. Like, so we ended up basically on the radio, like, hey, we have perp in custody. You know, we're blah 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 we're, we're bringing them in um and they're like no you don't I'm like okay yes we do <laughs> <laughs> got him like yeah, right here. Here. <laughs> and so basically like we never even saw him go out we're like we know like that's why we chased him really yeah so they had no idea, had no wow. idea. Dude broke even though you radioed it they didn't it uh so yeah the rate like so we have different radios so there's a chance we weren't even on the they same weren't on the channel. same channel yeah. so wow. Wow. There's a chance we weren't. So they're so, still sitting there at the house, sitting on the damn side of the house, the four commands. of them. <laughs> giving commands. Looking, looking in the yeah. house. like yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, yeah, we were there for about eight hours um, all together. 
every every lockdown's six to ten hours. Man, because uh, like SWAT has to like wherever they're at, if they're at home with their kids, they got to drive in. They gotta get ready. Then they have you know the prep room. So they put the picture on the wall. They put like okay, you know Mike's going here or this guy going here. Like this is how we're snipers here, and then they roll out. So it, it takes a long time. Like you, you, we called it like you treat a cat. You know if you're like mountain lion hunting, you, you treat one. It's gonna take a while. Yeah. Or unless they come out, and sometimes they do. Like we get them to come out, and then then it's just over. It's an easy day. Yeah. yeah. What I, I gotta ask you: Do you know a guy, or have you heard of Chris Voss? He's a FBI hostage negotiator. You remind me a lot of him because, like, the way he talks is, like, he – I don't know if you ever read I've the book. I've read the book, Never Split the Difference. Yeah. Yeah, really, really cool book. But yeah. he, he has a lot of, like, kind of similar stories where they're going in and, and, like, negotiating with these guys to get them out. And he's like, man, it could be a, a 6, 10, 20-hour process just to get someone to come out. Oh, yeah. How do a lot of those end up? I mean, do, do a lot of them end up in the guy walking out or do a lot of them end up in a shootout? I would imagine there's got to be we – al- We always leveled it, like – call them good gangsters um like we had a, a very good respect for good gang like if you're a gangster like we treated you a lot of respect because you're dangerous like you're if you say you're gonna some, do something you gotta do it yeah that's like, your word yeah, yeah that's your word yeah um and a lot of them take pride and and get some clout from doing stupid shit with the cops yeah um and so a lot of these guys were higher level older um like the old i'd say the older they are the less likely there would be to be aggressive encounter because they're smart um they know that they're 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 not only are they gonna lose like someone's gonna get hurt it's probably gonna be them and they're gonna do the time so if you catch me okay game's over you win i'll take a lawyer yeah those are the good gangsters like they're smart but the young ones that are trying to prove something those heads, yeah. idiots um, yeah. they hide in walls they hide in attics they think they can get away uh, and some do but like for us, we go home at night, and then we just start again tomorrow. We get paid by the hour. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're so going to work tomorrow regardless. Our thing was be safe before a hero. Like, there's no reason to be a hero. Like, if, unless a dude's killing people, active shooter, like, which was very rare. No, we'll get you tomorrow. Well, even the guy that uh, that RO officer, I don't know if you saw that story. I forgot what, what school shooting that was at, but that RO officer that didn't intervene, they actually ended up trying him. I don't know if you heard about that. I don't know if I saw that. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. You, you could see him with the hand sanitizer. Yeah, he's, like, all, like, delaying, and there's an active shooter, like, Oh, and he's hanging school. out in the yeah. school, not and doing there's shit. an RO officer. I think he was out front or doing something. or, But they ended up trying him and finding him not guilty because they couldn't prove that he knew there was an active shooter, even though, like, on surveillance, like, you can hear the, the pop, pop. You know, you can hear it. But it's so chaotic. It's like you don't you don't know, right? Yeah, like, we, we had we had some really cool open air open shootings. Um, the training they have for that, and we, we did respond to some 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 of them. Uh, we took all the kidnapping, so we did a several kidnapping cases. You know, homicides, uh, anything that had to do with the you know the reservation in, in Scottsdale, Mesa, Gila River. You know, they have they had such a volume of crime. They needed to create a task force to help out. So how do you how do you keep your mentals like straight? Like I like even yesterday I told you off air like we saw like a really really gnarly accident and like just I me and Delon actually like saw the all the cops and like all the response teams that came and set everything up and I was just thinking like how do they go home and do this every day? Like there's got to be some mental side of that where I don't know if it's like dis you disconnect your emotions or. Um, I might not be the best person to ask because I don't think I did a very good job. Okay, why? Um, I struggled. I, I didn't know how to process. I didn't know how to wrap my head around a lot of the stuff I saw. And mainly the sec- like the violent stuff that makes sense to me. Like, you didn't want to go to jail. We wanted to go to jail. You got hurt. Like, yeah. You didn't die. You're going to see your family again. Um, but, like, hurting kids, hurting animals, uh, brainwashing kids. Like, I, I couldn't wrap my head around that. I didn't know. And they don't have anything like, hey, let's, you know, it wasn't cool to admit you need help. You know, and so there weren't a lot of resources that said, hey, like, oh, you saw some child porn mandatory that you go talk to this counselor or you go take a week off. Um, our first lethal, like any lethal encounter you have, uh, you, you get time off instantly. Um, and no questions asked and you have to see a shrink to come back. Um, so that then they have a whole a whole team as well. So like you get involved in a shooting, you're automatically like removed. They take you to a room. Um, they make sure you have food and water, that you're safe. They call your family, let them know. And, and then they, you know, basically debrief you, your side of the story. And, and then you, you get a lot of help. There's a lot of support. There's uh, the cops have a ton of programs for mentors to talk to you. 
talk to your wife. Other female cops can talk to your family. Just there's a ton of support. But as far as, like, the, the, the sex crime stuff, it was, like, what do you do? Yeah, that's crazy. Um, and you, you think there would be a lot more around that? Like, I mean, it just. And there, and there might be now. I, I've been out of that for several years now. Um, but part of it is just, like, you're kind of just one day you're just thrown in the deep end and you figure it out. Wow. And you become, you probably become kind of immune to it, or is, does it, is it? I would say I became, so I, before I was in law enforcement, I was very extroverted. I, I loved concerts. I, I, I was, I like to have a good time. I would say about two to three years in, I didn't want to go to Costco. Um, my wife said, hey, you want to go to shopping? I'm like, nope, like, not going there. Like, there's too many people. You see a lot um, of evil in the world now, like, going through that? Do you? I, you definitely get pessimistic. Yeah. Um, everybody's a threat. Like, then every person wants to hurt your kids. Like, nobody's safe. Yeah. Like, uh, they're like, oh, you know, like, you and your wife go on a date, you watch your kids. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'll stay home. Yeah. Like, I don't need a date that bad. Like, I only have two daughters. Like, yeah. No. Um, I would, they're, they're six now, and I would say we, I think this is the first year we let someone without the same last name as me watch them. Yeah. Are they twins? Or? Yeah, I did. Oh, very cool. I didn't realize oh, that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. Six, nice. uh, there'll be seven in February. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you're like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so as far as like the, the mental side of it, you said like, so obviously, you know, I feel like it's, it's talked about a lot more right now. And obviously we're, we're young money mindset. So a lot of like what we try to focus on is like having that hardened mindset, like David Goggins type mindset. So like, I know you, you do stuff for yourself now and try to like put it out in the air and, and therapy and things like that. So when did you kind of like, recognize that you needed to take your mental mindset into your own hands and like like when did you decide like hey like this is bigger than me and I should maybe seek seek help outside of my own you know own self yeah I know exactly um I ended up tearing my shoulder in a foot pursuit uh in a hospital so we this dude was knocking over uh shoe stores with a knife stealing shoes um he got in a foot pursuit with a patrol we weren't there Got up on like a one-story apartment, um, tripped on a wire, fell and hit his head on the ground. And that's how we caught him. So they're like, hey, this gang unit's been looking for these guys. This guy, like, call him up. It's their case. We're, like, right around the corner. Um, because he hit his head, he has to get an MRI at the hospital before we can uh, take him to the jail. So typically how that works is anytime we had uh, a standby. So I w- since I was at Mesa, I couldn't write paper. So I can't go in their system and crank out a report. So what was good for them is they can send a cop or one of their guys to go write that up while I stay at the hospital and make sure this guy gets all the way through the process and I can transport him and book him myself. They don't need to be there for that. So they were there. They were helping out. They were writing the report. Um, But while I was going through the MRI, uh, he was cuffed to the bed. And the nurse was like, hey, he's been really good. We'd like you to take the cuffs off so we can get his MRI. And I was like, no, he's going to run. And she's like, well, no, he's been really good. And it's human. Like, he hit his head. Yeah, running from the cops because you stabbed him before. Like, no, leave the cuffs on. She's like, we're gonna take the cuffs off. We like, we have we have control of him. I was like, okay. Like, what's the plan if he runs? Um, I was like, let me get some zip ties. They're like, no, we want him to feel like a human. I was like, all right, he's gonna run. So they take the cuffs off, and he's like pretending to be asleep, <laughs> half knocked out. Um, they put him on the table, and so I'm standing in the room. They're like, hey, you can't stand in the room. Like, you gotta come behind the glass. I'm like, he's gonna run. Um, this is a bad idea. So sure, shit. I turn the corner on the glass, dude sits up, looks around, takes off running. Um, and he's in a stupid, you can see his butt, you know? He's in a hospital gown, yeah. <laughs> and I have a ride-along. I had that same ride-along. Like, it was like eight months later, same ride-along. Wow. This is, this is what he thinks my life is like. <laughs> Literally, that's <laughs> the two like, days he gets? not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he runs, uh, like, he has to, I can't even explain it, like, Almost like if that was the door he had to get out of, he had to get off the thing, run around this glass, and then out the door that opened in. And so, like, if he gets out that door, he's fast. Like, he was a smaller Hispanic kid. He's, he's going to burn. Like, I don't have a shot. So, I was like, I got to beat him to that door. So, he got he popped the door open and got, like, half his body in when I just, like, laid into the door and, like, compress. I could felt him compress and then come off. And then we got in a pretty good little scuff. Um so I ended up picking him up, and I threw him down, and I felt my shoulder, like, literally just, um, and then, like, kind of, like, my, like, I, I felt like my thumb twisted back, and I, I couldn't use that arm. I was like, oh. So I pull out my taser, and I tased him. 
Um, and by that time, my ride-along was like, what do I do? What do I do? You know, like, come on. Jump in. Yeah, yeah. Like, Tell me when to go. Tap me yeah. in. Tap me in. So he came off, and I was like, hey, are we cool? He's like, yeah, we're cool. We're cool. And I was like, all right, we're cool. So I was like, put on the radio, like, dude, we got foot pursuit. I got him under control. I need some help cuffing him. Um, so I ended up cuffing him, and we got him back on the MRI. You know, nurse, <laughs> nurses are crying, like, literally crying. Because it was, we, I mean, we threw some blows. Like, he was elbowing, and he, he was trying to get out of there. Um, and so, like, now they're all like, we should have listened, we should have listened. I was like, well, now I can't move my arm, so, like, maybe I need an MRI. <laughs> yeah, throw me um, in there. So I ended up getting a workman's comp. I had a torn interior labrum, and I needed surgery. Uh, and so that, that was, I'm out for a while. And so that is when my wife was like, hey, you've changed, and would you consider leaving law enforcement because this sucks? Like, you're difficult. And she didn't say it like that, but essentially what she said. And that's when I realized, like, yeah, I've been drinking a lot more than I'm proud of. I'm not taking care of my health. I don't eat right. Like, you know, you get you go on call, you're on energy drinks and protein bars and beef jerky and, you know, burgers. And, you know, you don't pee for half the day because you can't, like, you know. And then when you, when you do, you're like, oh, shit, I haven't eaten or had any water in 12 hours. Um so that's when I realized, I was like, oh, crap, this might not work. Like, what do I do? And one of my neighbors was a real estate agent, really good friends with Tyler and Jerem. And, and I asked him, I said, man, if you were to start over in real estate, what would you do? He goes, I'd go, you know, I'd go join like Tyler's team. I'd get my license, and they'll teach you everything. He said, once you have a book of business, then you know how to do it. So that's what I did. I went and did the nine-day course, got my license, started with Tyler right away because I knew I had – essentially that amount of surgery time that I had off to see if real estate was going to work right. before I could quit, quit. Um, and it did. And so I, I got a couple of deals under contract relatively quickly, saw that the checks and the time spent and the stress was a joke. Right. <laughs> like, from that. Like yeah. working like, as a realtor or outside, it, the, the complaints they had, like the other, you know, other peers, I was just like, we are not the same. Like I, I've got you guys covered. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I, and it wasn't hard. I mean, it's not hard work. No. I wouldn't call it work. It's more of a hobby. Like yeah. you did it 50 hours a week. It's not like no one's spitting on you. No one's biting your finger. And, you know, you're not trying to help someone while they're trying to resist. Uh, yeah. So I was like, this is easy money. I'm definitely quitting. So I ended up cashing out all my sick time and bought myself like another eight months so I could get paid. I had a paycheck from the county on my uh, FMLA and then the you know, the real estate checks. So I did that for about nine months and then just took his return my two weeks and yeah, that was it. So that was enough to kind of kind of kickstart the real estate career. Yeah, so I, I feel like I got lucky because a lot of people don't have that benefit to have a two like a two a second check coming in. Um, and so I just felt like it was, like, perfect timing. God's like, hey, man, so it's time to move on. Like, I wanted a master's and so I could relate to people, and I think I got it. It's just I don't have a piece of paper. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, I think you, know? you got it. Yeah. Experiences. I think I got it, yeah. Tenfold a master's degree. How uh, how long ago did you get into real estate? About I've come up on three years. Three years. So I've been out for three years. Wow, man. So, yeah, that's uh, – so r- relatively, relatively soon you made that transition. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it was definitely – um, I don't know how to, like, I, I, the mindset from barricading a house and talking to, like, a hardened criminal to a cold call, you want to sell your house. And, yeah. yeah. Can I, can I, yeah. Help? <laughs> can I help yeah. you? Yeah. Uh, was that, I mean, was it hard to, like, just, I don't know, to go from something like that to, like, try to have a business conversation in the in in what we know is the real world versus what you know is the real world well i didn't even know what a business conversation sounded like right I, I don't know what business like looks like and i don't have that i didn't have that confidence at first i had confidence like hey go grab that dude i got all the confidence in the yeah, world I'm, like, we're, we're getting that guy one way or another they're like hey go show this house i'm like oh yeah like just walking up to houses like you know i'm like i won't get in the front door i stay behind the pillar like you're like room's clear i didn't feel safe without a gun on me for the longest time like it took me forever to just realize like hey bring your stress level down like no one's here to hurt you um it was definitely a, an adjustment and i i think you know a lot like you know different people at the office they got to see like richard had a, some weird adjustments you know like, yeah. like there was one dude um 
uh, it was a cold call. And so we were talking and he was like, hey, man, were you law enforcement? And I was like, yeah. He goes, I can hear it in your voice. He goes, it sounds like you have some demons in your head. He was like, forgive yourself, man. Like, you're a good dude. Like, and I just started crying. Man. Really? Just lost it, man. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, I needed that. I didn't know. Like, permission uh, to forgive yeah. yourself, and it was right? Just, I, like, I didn't even, like, we were on the phone 10 minutes. And the dude's like, hey, man, like, I, I, ha- I can hear your voices because they're talking to my voices. Wow. Wow. Um, and that happened, like, that's happened three times. So I was training jiu-jitsu, and uh, one of their, their older black belt dudes came over and was like, dude, your voices are louder than mine. Like, can I pray for you? And I was just <laughs> melted. Like, you know, this grown man, you know, yeah. just tag. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> you have no idea. Like, I can't sleep. I can't. I see things. I hear things. I can feel, like, I can feel the kid's fingers on my neck. I oh feel them breathing God. on me. I can see their blood on my arm. Like, I can still see the scabies and the bugs they were living in. Like, yeah. the gang stuff was fun. That, that didn't, the kid stuff, I could wrap my head around. So. Yeah, you've seen a lot, a lot of shit, man. And, like, I can just, I can only picture, like, like, what's your day-to-day like now? Like, I would imagine, like, just from our short conversation, like, you sound like you'd be an awesome person to buy a house with. Like, <laughs> just, like, shooting the shit, going around. As you know, being an agent and, like, being in real estate, like, we spend a lot of time sometimes, like, with our clients and, you know, whether it's lunch or showings or just throughout the whole process. So, like, what does your day-to-day look like right now? Are you out showing a lot? Like, are you more on the listing side? Oh, I, I'll take whatever. Um, in, okay. Yeah, I'm not – I, like – I. So I got into, because I wanted to be a therapist. I wanted to help people. And I cop, I'll help people, but that wasn't what I did. I didn't enjoy it. And real estate, I feel like I'm starting to get to know people and, and help them more than just out of real estate. Like, um, I feel like I have the weirdest relationship with all my clients. Well, like, those are the best realtors. Like, the, the best realtors, at least in my opinion, are not the just, hey, I can wear my real estate hat, right? Like, they're a therapist, they're yeah. a coach, they're a motivator. If, they're, if you've got a problem, please call me. I'll figure it out for you. Like, yeah. I don't know the answer. I'll go find it. Exactly, yeah. You know, like, I got one girl who her husband just went to the hospital, and I'll, you know, make sure she's got meals for the week. Like, because yeah. I've, had, I've had that happen. And just to have dinner provided for you takes such a weight. And if you have kids, like, let me bring them, let me grab a Kindle, they're 50 bucks. Let me give your kid a Kindle that can download, like, eh, you know, yeah. like, it tears my, like, so I, I, I take a lot of pride in that. Um, but my day-to-day, like, uh, I, I love Goggins. Um, yeah, that, that mindset. I, I, I'll, I'll never, like, just the, the distance that's unknown, that's who you know who you are. And I love that because you have to love the process, and then goals just show up. Yeah. If you if you're if you don't know where the finish line, if you're so focused on the finish line, you won't. Not only will you not enjoy the process, you'll miss all the like all the blessings along the way. Yeah. Like when you just focus on that process, milestones just happen. Like I, I don't know like the best way to put that. Well, it's it's hard though. Like I I mean I I struggle with it all the time. Like believing in the process, thinking like shit, am I on the right path? Am I not? Like, you know, being on that process sometimes is difficult. Like it's. It, and it's not really focusing on the end result as much, but it's just like the day to day, right? Of the, the like doing the same shit over and over again, it can get pretty monotonous pretty quickly. And um, and I would imagine that would probably be another trip. Like, I guess combo, yeah. yeah. Well, like it's totally different too because like in law enforcement, it's probably different every single day. And like real estate, you know, it can be different too. I guess. It can also be more so, predictable though than what you came from. You know, you can kind of predict your results and handle your day to day differently. So, so for me, like, uh, I, I, you have to remain flexible. Like, you can't expect, like, you know, in law enforcement, like, I like working out before my shift. You know, we usually report the office 8 to 9 is real loose, but we're on the streets by 11, and then you just, you're there until there's nothing to do, or you work yesterday's case. Uh, but you get called out at 7 p.m., and you're there overnight. Like, you got to be able to roll with it. And then once you get back on schedule, you got to be back on schedule. Like, get back to working out, get back to eating correctly. Um, and that's where I feel like I failed because I always had the excuse in my head, well, when the kid got kidnapped, like, I'm going to sleep in today. I'm not going to work out. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to take a day off and do nothing. I'm going to go golf. When really I should have got back to my routine, uh, you know, counting my macros, getting to the gym, doing what I know is good for my brain. That's what 75 hard taught me is like how to bounce, like how to get back, like how to go on vacation and then come back. Vacations are killers. Yeah, try not to drink and eat like crazy. You You think it's going to be a reset and it's really not because you come back and you just, you don't want to get back. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, fuck working out. And then that's like, what did you like, what then, why are you working out? Like, if you're working out to like have a six pack, you ain't going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah you're going to burn out. If you're, yeah, you want to look good in the mirror, you're, you'll never be happy in the mirror. Yeah. If the scale is your goal, you'll never be happy with that number. Right. So just put it back on. Well, it goes back to like enjoying the process. The right? pro- yeah. Like, like, the gym, like, and, and that's something that like, I really try to have, like, try to try to learn, I guess, is like how to enjoy the gym because I was never one that like really loved that. But it's like, the more you go, the more you dial into that, the more you really immerse yourself in it. Like, I actually find enjoyment out of it. Oh, yeah. It's therapeutic, right? And you do more jujitsu than anything now, right? So or, I'm not allowed in jujitsu anymore. Wife cut you off? Yeah. <laughs> we made a deal at three surgeries. I was no longer allowed. It was officially back. And you here. just, if I remember correctly, just had your third, right? I just had my third, yeah. Congrats, man. That's not a good thing. No? <laughs> that ain't a good I'm thing done, at all. I'm done, dude. That was my favorite therapist. Man. So you... If you don't mind talking about it, you do currently do therapy, correct? Um, well, I tell people I'm in therapy, so they leave me alone. Oh, that's a good one. I see. I had a lender <laughs> one time tell me. Actually, Lauren told me that she tells people she's in a yoga class because for some reason, psychologically, you're like, cool. She's taking care of herself. Let, let her take care so of herself. For a my therapy right now. I've met with several therapists. Um, I'm diagnosed PTSD, depression, anxiety, blah blah blah. Um, and I had to see a therapist through the county when I left and. They gave me, they want me on all these meds, and I was like, not a chance. Um, so I use exercise as my therapy, and jujitsu's always been, as long as I do jujitsu, I can go to sleep. Okay. Um, my days are less anxiety-filled. You do it right thing, right in the morning, right? right get it out. Get, is, yeah. is, that, is that anger that you're releasing in the morning? Is that... Is See, that I don't know. I, I, I mean, most of the time, I didn't want to go. Like, yeah. It's 5.45, it was an hour drive for an hour class, hour and a half. All those dudes were bigger than me. They've been doing it longer. They're all getting ready for Worlds or Pan Ams. You know, like you're just training with these monsters that are also at 6 a.m. Like people that show up at 6 a.m. are not weekend warriors. Right. These it's guys, a, diff- it's a yeah. different breed. Because they different. usually go work out right after that at the gym and then they go do more. And, um, I, I don't know, like just the, the like, when you go to the gym, you, I don't know how to explain it correctly. Like you play basketball, you run a lot further than you would have ever ran by yourself. Soccer, same thing. Like, oh, I suck at soccer. I'll chase that ball for two hours, yeah. and then realize, oh shoot, I ran five miles. Which, if you're like, hey, go run five miles, I'm like that. That's yeah, not, yeah, I hate that. And so jujitsu is the same way. Like, when someone's trying to choke you out, like, you just keep moving, and then you just get comfortable in awkward situations. You're just always having to work out of a jam, and then all of a sudden you're just comfortable being in a jam all the time. I like that. And then you're just like, nothing stresses you out. You could have your back given up, you could be face down, dude's cross, you just give me a second, give me a second, give me an angle, and then you're out. You watch the fight over the weekend? Sugar O'Malley, yeah. 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 He lives out here, doesn't he? Yeah, he's up in Peoria, or he trains out here. He's got a gym out here, yeah. Yeah, The way he switches from orthodox to something, it's so slick. It was crazy. That fight, that second round knockdown, I was like, holy shit, dude. Like, sugar just connected. Yeah, just just right there. Half inch. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, man, I've been, uh, that's, that's, that's really awesome though. I think the, the MMA, mixed martial arts, like doing that, I, I know a couple other guys that do it and it's just crazy to see like the mental difference before and after. I feel like it's one of those deals. It's more, is it more mental, would you say, than like physical or is it, or probably a good mix of both or? It, it's, it's definitely, I guess it's, it depends on your approach. So I like chess. I love chess. Um, yeah. it, it's like chess with the body. Like I'm thinking three or four moves ahead. And every time you move, there's like, as you get better, you have outs. So instead of focusing all your energy, cause you only know one move, you burn yourself out. And that dude's just waiting for you to burn out. And he's like, oh yeah. Cause when you roll someone new, they, they go for the one move they know. And if they can't get it, they just stick on it until they can't hold on. And then you have, you have your way. And you can go, hey, how do you want to get choked out? Cause I have all my energy and you're done. So as you get better, you realize like, oh, that didn't work. Like switch to this. Oh, I set it that up. Oh, I baited him with this. Oh, momentum switch. Um, and then you you see other people there. You take from their their skill set. Um, and as you grow, you you kind of become a little bit more unstoppable. And then once you can just impose your will onto somebody else, like in that way, it's cool. Yeah. And then when someone does it to you, you're like, oh man, show me how did you like how did you do that? Like show me what you were thinking. And you're like, oh, well, you left this open. Or, oh, you know. You shifted your weight too low. You, you gave up too fast, and like I knew you were coming. Damn, so, that's crazy. Yeah, and it's then cool how in depth it is. Really think about it that way. Oh, it's 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 all about angles because there were dudes that were 130 pounds, 150 pounds, and I'm 230, and I couldn't get them off me. 
Yeah. Like I just couldn't get them off. Well, they take your back, and you just they get you anywhere. Yeah. You could have their back, and next thing you know, they're cranking your ankle. You're like, how? <laughs> they just don't care where they're at. Yeah. Like, and you can tell the higher the bell, uh, the more confident and calm they are under stress. Yeah. Like, and and that's I'll tell you right now, if you have some dude pin and you're about to submit them, and they're perfectly calm. It's a, like, oh shit, I'm doing something wrong. Like, yeah. I'm falling, I'm that's backing off. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, they just, like, they don't care. Like, Alderman just... Sterling was what one of the best grapplers out. I mean, I don't know if you know a lot of his jujitsu stuff, but I know he's yeah, good. He's good. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, and I, I wouldn't fight him. I watched some of his highlights before that fight, and I was like, holy shit, man. His technique, his submission, like the way he rolls on the ground is. It's crazy. I, I can only imagine fighting someone like that. It's like, dude, that would, <laughs> I'll step away from that. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be, I'll, I'll pass on that for sure. Yeah, so we, we always made a joke uh, in long tours that if they have cauliflower ears, just lethal force. Yeah, it's pretty much. Yeah, they've been at it for a long time. Trying to put cows, just shoot up, dude. Let them run. Get some double taser on them. Yeah, like cauliflower ears, step away. Damn, man. Wow. Well, dude, this has been. Crazy interesting. I'm glad you came on. This is a good switch of pace for us. Um, you know, we're yeah. used to having a, a different style of guest on. I was beyond excited to get you on. Well, I appreciate um, it. You guys are awesome. This is my first podcast. Yeah, dude, you, you crushed it. This has been unreal. Like, seriously, appreciate you coming on. This yeah, is, thank for you. For me, this is beyond interesting. I mean, and I think everybody out there watching it is going to find a lot of value in, you know, your mindset and what you've done. It's very, very well, I appreciate it. If I helped anyone, uh, yeah. I hope I did. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Yeah. It's been awesome. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And, uh, Thank you guys for watching Young Money Mindset, listening. Make sure you guys subscribe, drop us a review down below, and we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Catch you on the next one.